There is a message that I highly recommend everybody listens to. All of it uh, is worth your time. Is if you have time, you know, especially commutes and that kind of stuff, to, to plug in and listen to other messages. But if you get on, the, it's calvarychapeldeepsouth.com, I think is what, it might be .org, but Calvary Chapel Deep South. The, the website, it's a little bit confusing, but up in the upper right, it says DSPC for Deep South Pastor Conference. And then when you hover over that, there's a section for past teachings. And this is the one from uh, earlier this week, but it's session three. And it's by Dr. Larry Powers. He is the president of the Bible College at uh, uh, Calvary Chapel Golden Springs in Diamond Bar, California. Um, Fabulous, fabulous message on the Spirit of God, which is our topic in our context this morning. Would totally complement what we're going to be speaking about this morning, but highly recommend listening. I had never heard him speak before. Fabulous heart for Jesus Christ. Fabulous heart for the Word and fabulous heart for people. Awesome message. So listen to that. And let's pray one more time. Continually. Heavenly Father, we love you. What an honor it is to worship you, Lord, with family, with true brothers and true sisters who love you and adore you and are following you and are sitting at your feet and are serving you, Lord, loving you with all of their mind, their heart, their soul, and their strength. Pouring out their hearts and their minds to you, Lord, in worship and in adoration and prayer. Thank you for the life that you've given to us. Thank you for the lives of others that you place around us. Thank you for the community that you've given us here, Lord. We ask in all things that we do that you would give us the ability, Lord, to honor you, to bring you glory, to bring you our thanks and to bring you our praise, to offer our very lives to you, every nook and cranny, Lord. Cut out of us what needs to be cut out, refine what needs to be refined, and conform us into the image of your beautiful Son who we worship and who we adore who we long to see. This morning, Lord, let us see you through your word. Holy Spirit, may you give us the ability to hear you. In our innermost being, may we hear you, and may we respond with great faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are only one study into the book of Acts. Again, we're sitting here looking at our resurrected Lord, the one whom we were just singing to and about. We're looking at his final instructions that he's giving to his disciples, those who he has called to himself, those who he has been shepherding, loving, laughing with, rebuking, these who he revealed himself to, these who he taught these who walked alongside of him through, through the gospel accounts, these who saw him crucified and dead, those who saw him rise again. 
We're sitting in Luke's account. So this is really part two. Last week we covered the first few verses here in Acts of the former account that Luke wrote to Theophilus. It was concerning all that Jesus began both to do and to teach, not just the gospel, again, dealing with the beginning of things, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ is how Mark phrases it. But we talked about last week that this is the ongoing activity of Jesus in the life of the church, in our lives even today, concerning about who he is, the things that he did, the things that he taught. It says, until the day that he was taken up, until the day that he ascended into heaven. We'll talk about his ascension next week. I want you to see this here in verse 2. It says, after he, noticed this, through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles. I find this fascinating that here Jesus, the resurrected, glorified Jesus is standing, standing in their midst, alive. And it still says through the Holy Spirit, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his relationship with the Holy Spirit, through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's giving commands and giving orders to the apostles, those who he had chosen. It says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during throughout these 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So in this, in this outline, we talked about just the seven things. You have what Jesus did, what he taught, what he suffered, his pain, the crucifixion, his resurrection, how he presented himself, how he appeared, the infallible proofs associated with that. He's giving commandments and orders. He's talking to them about the kingdom of God. And then here again, this is all this time frame before his ascension. We're going to talk about these two things this morning, his commandments. What is he commanding what orders is he giving to the apostles and concerning the kingdom of God what is this conversation that he's having with the apostles and again next week we'll press into the ascension and all that that has but picking it up here in verse 4 it says and being assembled together with them he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait for the promise of the father which he said you have heard from me For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So as we sit in the context this morning, again, we're going to look at these two things. What is he commanding them during this 40-day period? We get some brief instructions here. We're going to turn into the, the Gospels and look at the, just the fuller context of the instructions that we have from Jesus. And then we'll turn our attention to why are they asking him about whether or not he's going to restore the kingdom of Israel? What's going on in their minds and their hearts? So turn back just one or two pages in your Bibles to the Gospel of John in chapter 20. We're going to look at this at verse 19. So this is after Jesus has resurrected. He is, 
He's already appeared to Mary Magdalene here in the, in the context of John, picking it up in verse 19. Notice it says, then this same day. So this is Sunday morning, the day that he resurrected, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Remember, they don't know that Jesus is resurrected yet. Their lives are in turmoil. Jesus came and he stood in their midst. He appeared to them and he said to them, peace be with you. And we, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples, they were glad when they saw the Lord, no doubt. Verse 21, it says, Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Looking at this, this is a command that Jesus is giving to his apostles. I am sending you as an apostle. That's what apostle means. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, take note, he breathed on them. He blew on or in to them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. We'll get into this idea as we turn to the other Gospels and look at what Jesus is commanding. But this idea is you go out and as you preach the Gospel and people respond to who I am. They respond to my name, my nature, my character. They respond to your witness, your testimony about who I am. Their sins are forgiven. If they reject me, you have the authority. Those who reject Jesus Christ, your sins are retained. Because there is no salvation. There is no freedom from death. There is no freedom from the bondage of sin outside of Jesus. So we talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. This again, and why I say the point, verse 19, in context, this is the very same day that Jesus rose from the dead. His first interaction with his apostles, he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. They are born again at this moment. They are born from above at this moment on the day of Jesus' resurrection. This becomes important because Jesus is telling them to wait for the promise. So here they've already received the promise, but as we talk about what is it, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Why is he telling them to wait? What is this power that they're going to receive? Why is the Holy Spirit being given? Why are these seen as separate um, experiences or circumstances? Again, in context here, this, this idea that the Holy Spirit is involved in God's creation. In the very beginning in Genesis, who is hovering over the face of the deep as God has created the heavens and the earth? Who's hovering over the waters? We have the Spirit of God hovering over. He is part of creation. He is part of the Godhead. So we talk about the Spirit taking up residence in us through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a creation event that happens. And the Spirit is very involved in that creation event because through faith in Christ, we are made new in a moment. And in that moment, the Almighty God, Father, Son, and Spirit takes up residence in us. We've now become the temple of God. Fascinating. Turn to Matthew. The end of Matthew chapter 28. Jesus' instructions. Again, here the scene is the 11 disciples. They went away into Galilee. This is uh, Matthew chapter 28 beginning in verse 16. 
Eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Notice this, some doubted. Again, this is, this is a major event that is going on in their lives. Confusion. They have expectations and assumptions. Even walking alongside of Jesus. You who know the, which as I looked around this morning, we all have a familiar face in here. I know that you know the Gospels. So we know the confusion that they're sitting in. And as Jesus is giving them commands, he's giving them instructions during these 40 days. And here in Galilee, verse 18, Jesus, he comes and he speaks to them and he says, all authority, which this is, this is, uh, this is uh, king authority, this is sovereign authority, this is control, this is the freedom of, ch- of, of choice that God has. All authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, this idea of go, it means, it means to travel. It's to go from one point to another point and, and continuing to go on. Travel, therefore, as you travel, what are they doing? What are they supposed to be doing? What is his instruction? Make disciples. This idea of making others disciples, it's causing others to follow Jesus. It's not that we can put anybody in a headlock and force anyone to love the Lord or force anybody to follow Jesus, but those who respond to the gospel. Make them to be followers, not of you, not of a church, not of a program. Make them to be Followers of Jesus, students of Jesus, learners of Jesus, of all the nations. And to get to all the nations and to get to all peoples, again, that requires travel. Baptizing them. So as they go, as people respond, baptize. This idea of baptism, it's being immersed into water. It's this idea of washing, cleansing, purification, This is this idea of baptizing them. Baptizing them in what? In the name, the nature, the character. We just sang about his great name. We're going to turn to multiple passages today which proclaim the greatness of the name of God. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, our triune God. Teaching them. This is the process of making disciples, to be taught Teaching them, I have been taught to observe, to guard, to keep, and to obey all the things that I have been commanded out of the word. And this is my role as I stand before you, teaching you the word of God. I'm here to teach you to observe, to guard these things, to keep these things, to hold on to these things. Not my words, but to the words that Jesus has commanded to us. And then we have this promise from him. See Behold, lo, pay attention to, see, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And this, this just snaps my mind right back into Hebrews where we were when God says, I will never, never abandon you. I will never, never, never forsake you. Jesus is always with us. He is present with us here. He was present with you when you woke up this morning, when you traveled here. He is present with you for all eternity. I love that promise because I don't see Jesus today. And he's telling his disciples, I'm going away, but I will always be with you. 
It's a fascinating promise. It's, it seems like it's in opposition. What do you mean that you're going and we can't go where you are going, but you're going to send this other helper. We don't get this. These guys are sitting in confusion and Jesus is continuing to give them instruction, commands. Turn to the Gospel of Luke, the end of the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 24, this lines up with what we are reading in Acts. Again, this is sitting in what is, as Jesus, in this 40-day period, as he continues to come before them, as he has his private conversation with Peter and with James, he appears before 500 at one time. What is he speaking to them? What is he, in, what is he again, what commands is he given? What are we supposed to be doing? And, and it's consistent, recorded in the word in regards to his very basic and very direct commands in regards to what the apostles were to be doing. Those who are responding to the word, even us today, this is what we are to be about. So verse 44 of chapter 24 of Luke, it says, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and of the prophets and of the Psalms concerning me. I love this here in verse 45. He opened their understanding. He opened their minds that they might comprehend the scriptures. This means before Jesus did this in their minds and in their hearts, there was a lot of the scripture that was closed to them. If you ever open up the Bible, if you ever tried to read sections of the Bible and you just say, I don't have a clue what that means. This is as we, get, as we turn our attention to the baptism of the Holy Spirit later on. This is one of the activities of the Spirit. He is the one that is renewing our mind. He has the mind of God. And he's leading our minds and our hearts. And he's the one that is giving us the interpretation of what this means. But Jesus here, opening the, the minds so that they can comprehend the scriptures, so that they can what? Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it is ne- was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Here's the message as you're going out. This is why I'm opening your mind to understand the Old Testament, the scriptures, all these things that I've been teaching, all these things that I've been performing and fulfilling, that when you go out, you're preaching this message of repentance, this this turning, a change of thought, a change of attitude, the change of our way of life away from our dead selves into the living Christ and looking at him for life. And not just repentance, but the remission, the removal, that our sins, as far as the east is from the west, have been removed from us through Christ. They should be preached in what? In the name of Calvary Chapel, in the name of some other man, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, They should be preached in his name to all nations. Rich, poor, white, black. Every nature, every culture, every class of people, every region. Go and preach this same message. Beginning at Jerusalem. Look at this. You are This is what you are. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But, Terry, sit down. Sit down in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. 
So here is Luke in in this first document to Theophilus as he's bringing this portion of his accounts to a close. He's recording Jesus' words. He is going to send the promise of the Father upon the apostles. As they are being given the instructions to go, they are first being told to wait. You wait and you sit down because what I am commanding you to do is impossible to perform outside of this being clothed with, endued with. You have been, wait until you have been put on the Holy Spirit until you have put on the power that he gives to you. And this idea of power, this is where we get dynamite from. It's the power of achieving. It's the power of ability. It's the power of strength. And again, this isn't something that wells up from within us. This is something that is given to us. This is something that he is empowering us to obey. So turn our attention back to Acts As we sit in Acts, from the very beginning of Acts all the way through Acts, and the very last verse of Acts says that Paul, when Paul is in Rome, says that he is preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, with all courage, with all boldness. So as Jesus is giving commands to his disciples, it says here in verse 4, again, there's, there's been multiple scenes. There's multiple occasions where he is revealing himself and then he goes away and it's different locations, different times throughout these 40 days. Here in Acts in verse 4, there's a particular instance that's being recorded. This is a, a singular um, Meal, essentially what's going on. It says that they are being assembled together. Uh, Jesus was assembled together with them. The language here, it's, it's an idiom. It says to eat salt with. They're, they're having a meal together. They're having dinner together. They're having a lunch together. They're sitting down around a table. The resurrected Jesus in body. He's not just a spirit. He is eating and consuming food with his chosen ones. And in this conversation, he's commanding them. He's telling them, this is what must be done. Do not separate yourself. Do not depart from Jerusalem. But wait. And this idea, the way that Terry in the Gospel of Luke, this is the idea of sitting down. Here, this this idea of waiting. It's waiting with expectation. Expectation is awesome. And expectation is also very dangerous. I get in probably the most trouble in relationship with God when he fails my expectations. This is when I groan. This is when I complain because I have an expectation of God in his his activity, in his timing to do something that he is not doing in my timing the way that I think that he ought to be doing it. Does everybody feel what I'm saying here? Everybody recognize this emotion of expectation? At the same time, he tells us to have great expectancy. When you pray to God, expect him to answer your prayer. He will answer it. When you open up your word and you were sitting down at his feet and in prayer and you're reading this, you ought to expect him to speak to you and to teach you and to lead you. When we come into here, you ought to expect God to be present here. You ought to expect God to be present with you wherever you go. 
you ought to expect that Jesus is coming back one day. Why? This is what he's promised us. But in these expectations, he's telling the disciples to wait in expectancy because the promise is coming not many days from now. He's coming, but wait. Be patient. They didn't have to wait that long. They had to wait about a week. But Jesus here, he says, the which in, in my New King James, it really should be translated who because the Holy Spirit is a he. He is not an it. So who, he said, you have heard from me. So you, you can sit in these in your own study, but John 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, Jesus conveying to them the spirit of truth, this helper, this another helper who he is going to send. You've heard about him from me. And he's talking about on the one hand, John truly baptized. So you have John the Baptist here. And then he says, on the other hand, you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The baptism of John, this is a baptism in water. It's a baptism of repentance. This is something that they were doing in their culture, in their time, in preparation for the one who was to come, Jesus. But now the focus is turning to Jesus as the baptizer. So when we talk about baptism, in our context as believers in Christ, we are not talking about water baptism. We are not talking about John's baptism. What we are talking about is Jesus as the Baptist. And what he baptizes us with and into is himself, the very God of God's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He immerses us into the Holy Spirit. And in this, in this idea, so as Jesus, they're sitting down at this meal at this time. He's saying, you remember John the Baptist? You remember you've seen what we've been doing? But not many days from now, even John himself said that there's coming one after me and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and he's going to baptize you with fire. There's a break here between verse 5 and verse 6. And the break is a different day, a different time, and maybe later in the day. That therefore is too strong of a word. It's not in light of what was just spoken, but it's now. So when they were, uh, when they were come together. So this is a different meeting. It's not at the same meal that they were just eating. It's a different context. Which means that as they were sitting in that context with Jesus and Jesus leaves, they're sitting there, they're having conversations with themselves. In prayer with one another, they're talking about the things that Jesus has commanded. They know what he's promised. They know about the helper. They're still left with questions. They have the Old Testament that God, Jesus, has now opened their minds to and understanding. And they're sitting in this subject matter so that when Jesus comes to them the next time and they're meeting with them, they have this question. What's the question? Lord? Is it now? Right now? Are you going to restore? Are you going to reestablish the kingdom to Israel? The sovereignty of the nation of Israel? We're going to turn to just a couple of places. Because Jesus has been communicating to them for three years about the kingdom of God. Since he has risen from the dead, he is continuing to, continue, he is continuing to teach them and speak to them about things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And this in their own minds that's leaving the his, what Jesus is actually doing, is not lining up with what the disciples' expectations 
are. And they're asking them this question, is, is it now? Is it, what's, it, what's going on here? And that's a step into their hearts. So turn into Isaiah. And we could go to 100 passages here. And in studying this week, trust me, it was very, very difficult to narrow these down to just a few. But turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to walk through a few passages to help us get a flavor for the minds of the disciples. Why are they asking Jesus right now if he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What are they looking for? What are they expecting Jesus to do? And why does he answer them? The time, it's not for you to know. That's not your concern. So in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. Y'all ought to know this one. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The disciples, they know that they are looking at this child. They know that they are looking at this son. They know that they are looking at the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, whose throne is David's throne. His kingdom is never going to end. Jesus, now, are you going to be king now? And remember the context that they're sitting in. They have the brutal oppressors of Rome ruling them. Jesus, are you going to be king now, Isaiah 11, turn a couple pages. Isaiah 11 here, first five verses says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse. A branch shall grow out of his roots. Look at this. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, as we get back into Acts and we start talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what the Holy Spirit is doing as he rests upon us and as he dwells within us. He is the Spirit of Yahweh. He is the Spirit of wisdom and understanding. He is the Spirit of counsel and might. He is the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Seven attributes of the Spirit of God. His delight, talking about the Spirit resting upon the Messiah, resting upon the King of the nation of Israel, resting upon the King of all nations, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus, our Savior. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. Listen, with the spirit of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness. The belt of his waist. 
Isaiah is a couple hundred years after David. He's a hundred years plus when God uses the Babylonians as a instrument of chastisement to the Jews. We're going to sit in that in a minute, so skip over Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the prophet during the time when God is judging the nation. Turn to Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel is a prophet of God. During the time of captivity, this is when the nation has been dispersed because of their disobedience. He is in the land of Babylon as God is speaking to him to be his mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. Verse 16, we're going to read long context here again. This is sitting in the mind of the apostles as they are responding to what Jesus is commanding and speaking about pertaining to the kingdom of heaven. And this idea, what, the, what they're sitting in, the reality of this, this carries forward throughout the book of Acts, carries forward into our lives, and this is carrying forward into his kingdom which is coming where he will reign forevermore. Verse 16 of Ezekiel 36 says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land. And for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the, the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of Yahweh... And yet they have gone out of his hand, out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Remember, we're talking about that we are baptized and we are immersed into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the nature and character of God. This is who he is. This is who we are to witness and shine forth in every area of our life according to his power and movement. Verse 22, therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify, set apart my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God. So as we talk about being his witnesses and what it means to be a witness, this is how his name I just lost, where did I just read from? What verse am I in? Thank you. I will sanctify. This is how his name's going to be sanctified. I'm sitting there looking. This is how his name's profaned. No, don't profane his name. May his name be sanctified, set apart in us. When I am hallowed, listen, when I am considered holy in you before their eyes. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
May you be you, your name, your character. May you be holy and separate and sanctified in our lives. The nations, this nation in which we live, when God is hallowed in you, you are witnessing Jesus Christ to them before their eyes. They will see it, they will hear it, and they will respond one way or the other. In verse 24, for I will take you from among the nations, and again, this context is Israel, and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you. Again, this imagery of water, washing, cleansing, even going to baptism. You shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. You will keep my judgments and do them. Skip down to verse, uh, chapter 37. Separate vision here. The hand of the Lord came upon me. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord, this vision that he's having. And this, again, this is when God is talking about here in, verse, or in chapter 36 that he's going to put his spirit into man. And here's a vision of what this looks like. Set me down in the midst of a valley. It was full of bones. Bones. This is death. This is dead humanity in this valley. He caused me to pass by them all around. And to behold, there were many, very many in the open valley. Indeed, they were very dry, no life in them. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? Ask ourselves the same question. Can you go stand in the graveyard and then ask the same question? How? How? Can anybody come back from the dead? So I answered, or, oh, Lord God, you know, I don't have a clue, but you're asking me the question. I hope so. Verse 4, and again, he said to me, prophesy, speak to these bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of the Lord. Amen. Verse 5, thus says the Lord God to these bones, surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. How does somebody come back alive from the dead? Through faith in Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit. The same spirit that rose him from the dead is the same spirit that gives us life today and forevermore. I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live. I will put sinews on you and bring flesh upon you and you and cover you with skin and put breath, put spirit in you and you shall live then you shall know that I am the Lord so he prophesies there's all this noise they come together verse 9 he says to him again prophesy to the breath to the spirit prophesy son of man and say to the breath say to the spirit thus says the Lord God come from the four winds O breath O spirit and breathe on these slain that they might live so again as Jesus in John 20 is breathing onto the disciples this is that's like the reality and the fulfillment of this passage so I prophesied 
And he commanded me, and he breathed into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. And it's not just for these individual disciples. Listen, it is still a promise for the nation of Israel. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we ourselves are cut off. You imagine sitting in slavery in Babylon because of the judgments of God. They're saying, we're dry, we're dead, we're lost, we're cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, says the Lord, God, behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I the Lord have spoken and performed it says the Lord we're running out of time let's turn back to Acts here these prophecy prophecies yes of the Old Testament what God is going to do in regards to not just renewing the nation but renewing humanity his victory over death Context of what Jesus is speaking to his disciples. This is the message that they are to go in the world and to proclaim not just the content of the Old Testament, but here is Jesus, the one who has fulfilled the Old Testament. Here is the one who has died for our sins. It is his offering that satisfied God's righteous requirements. Of our sin, it is the one, our sins were laid on him. He is the one who has victory over death because he came back alive. This is what they are to go and witness. And they're sitting in all the subject matters. Jesus is still with them. And they're asking the question, is that now? In verse 7, Jesus responds to him. It's not the right question. It is not for you to know the times or the seasons. So stop naming dates. Stop guessing. There are so many things that we have in the word of God that point to, I believe that Jesus is coming back very soon. But if he waits a generation, if Jesus waits a thousand years, guess what? I am okay with that. Why? Because that just means there is more of his creation that is going to be in his presence for all eternity, proclaiming his glory. I think it's soon. I think it's quick. I look at what's going on in this world, and I see lots of prophecies seemingly being fulfilled and pointing to the fulfillment, pointing to the soon coming of Jesus as we talk about the rebirth of a nation from the time that Israel was destroyed and demolished there by the Babylonians, even the sovereignty that they had. After they came back into the land, it was still minimal. The temple was destroyed in 70 AD. The Romans absolutely decimated the nation of Israel. In our generation, 1948, the nation of Israel becomes a nation again. Those dead, dry bones in the beginnings of, being, of coming together. And there is going to come a day when Jesus is going to be hallowed and set apart. And his name is going to be glorified in the nation of Israel. And that's when Jesus is coming back. Sit in, the, sit in Revelation and Revelation will point you to all the other prophecies. So this is what they're saying. Is now the time? You know, they're excited about this. They want him to be king. We're excited about this. We want Jesus to reign.
pain physically. I want Jesus to be the president of presidents, the dictator of dictators, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. I want him ruling physically from Jerusalem now. I want it now, Lord. Restore sovereignty to your chosen people so that you will be a light to all nations. That day is coming, but it's not yet. And the but here in verse, I have way too much writing in my Bible to even know what verse that is. Verse 8, it looks like 6, I knew it wasn't 6, verse 8. But you shall receive, you shall take hold of power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Language here. The promise, the epangelia, the helper, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. The promise is being given to the apostles. Without them asking, this is a guarantee, this is a matter of fact, wait Terry, sit down. I am sending the promise. You don't need to ask. You don't need to beg. Through faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. We look to Jesus Christ in faith. We receive the Holy Spirit by faith. He takes up residence in us by faith. This isn't something where we've got to shove the Holy Spirit into us. He comes in and he takes up residence and he starts doing his work. This power here, this, this reception of power, of strength, of ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. As we travel through the book of Acts, there's no, there's no system to this. It looks different every single time it occurs, but when we sit in the language of, of Acts, the word baptism, this idea of receiving power, the idea of the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and the idea of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon you. It's all the same language. It's all describing the same event. And the same event as we sit in this idea of who the Holy Spirit is. He is our God who has created the heavens and the earth. Father, Son, Spirit involved in creation. Father, Son, Spirit involved in creating man in there. He says, let us, create, let us create man in our image, in our likeness. We're told in Genesis that he forms man out of the dust of the ground, the elements that he created. And what does he do to give man, to give Adam life? What does he do? Breathes into him spirit. And Adam became a living being. This idea, we can sit in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus. Don't you know that you need to be born again? You need to be born from above. You need to be born of the spirit. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. We are born again as we enter into this relationship. There's this initial access that the Holy Spirit provides for us to God. Through Jesus, as our mediator, through his sacrifice on the cross, through his life, in his resurrection, we boldly approach our God on his throne. The Holy Spirit is the one who has been sent to us to be our helper, to be our teacher, to be our instructor, to be our instruction. At that moment of salvation, he gives us life and we have life instantly. 
then we have this ongoing relationship. We have this ongoing access. He is the sustainer of our life. He is the provider of our life day in and day out. But to be Jesus's witness requires not just a relationship with God, but it requires an ongoing empowering from the Holy Spirit. You've already received the Holy Spirit, now wait until you were clothed with power to do what I've called you to do, what I have made you to be able to do, I have empowered you to do, what I am sending you to do. And in this language, as we continue to go on in Acts, and again, we're just scratching the surface in the subject matter this morning. The Holy Spirit is there to give us inspired interpretation of the word of God. We talked about that earlier when Jesus opened their minds. The Holy Spirit is within us and he comes upon us as we study, as we read, as we're praying, as we're seeking to know and to understand and have wisdom and application in regards to his word. The Holy Spirit is coming upon us immersing our minds in him to give us inspired interpretation of the word of God. Not only that, he is coming upon us and enabling us, giving us the power to prophetically proclaim to speak the word of God. This is exactly when we look at Jesus' baptism. When he initiated his public ministry, what did he do when he came to John the Baptist? He was baptized by John. What did God the Father do in response to Jesus' baptism? He rent the heavens and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and remained upon Jesus. And from that day forward, in that anointing and in that empowering, Jesus went forth and he did the works that he did that we have in the Gospels. He went forth teaching, proclaiming in truth and power. Everything was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Even again, this is why I paused earlier, after his resurrection, as he is still speaking Prophetic proclamations are still coming from Jesus' mouth to his apostles. Through what? Through the Holy Spirit. And this is the same activity in our life. He is the one who comes upon us. to gives us not only the content of what we speak, but the boldness and the power and the authority of what we speak. As we speak his words and his truth as his ambassadors, as his sent ones. The Holy Spirit comes upon us and enables us to do what Jesus did. Think of that. Not only does the Holy Spirit empower us to teach what Jesus taught, the Holy Spirit empowers us to do what Jesus did. And this one hurts. The Holy Spirit empowers us to suffer as Jesus suffered. Not that we suffer for the sins of humanity, but as Jesus suffered, we suffered. And the only way to do that is through his empowering. The Holy Spirit ultimately, he empowers us to live as Jesus lives. Not just as Jesus lived, but as Jesus has life now, as he is seated at the right hand of the Father now, the Holy Spirit is in us and he is upon us and he is empowering us to live the life of Jesus Christ. When we sit in this, 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 is, this is a command. When you receive power, you shall be 
my witnesses. Literally, it's you shall be my witnesses. Not witnesses to me. Not, it's not a, that we're witnessing on behalf of Jesus. It's that the Holy Spirit comes upon us. He clothes us. He empowers us to be who we have been created to be, which is to radiate the image of Christ, to testify. This idea, the word witness is where we get our word martyr from. And literally, this being his witness comes at the cost of our life to testify to the world what we already have received from him. He calls us to come and to die. He calls us to come and to deny ourselves. He calls us to come and to bear our own cross, to die to ourselves, to our desires and to our wants. That it's no longer we who are living, but it's he who is living in us. It's he who has given us a new spirit and a new heart. It's he who is enabling us to do whatever it is that he has called us to do, whether it's a small thing, or whether it's bigger than the mountain that you could ever move through faith in Jesus Christ. If that mountain needs to be moved through the empowering of the Holy Spirit upon your life, that mountain will be moved in the name of Christ. Believe it. Worship team, come on up. Last verse of the morning. And this is ultimately what we are going to be sitting in in the book of Acts as we sit in this testimony of the early church, as we sit in the testimony of our own lives and what Jesus Christ is doing. This is Zechariah chapter four, verse six, where the Lord says, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of armies, not by might, it's not by an army, it's not by some military might and some military power, not by power, it's not through some individual says, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Context of Zechariah is the rebuilding of the temple that the uh, Babylonians had destroyed. As we sit in this and as we watch Jesus build his church, build his temple in the book of Acts, as we watch him build us today, as we watch him build his church today, it's not through human ingenuity. It's not through our strength. It's not through our programs and our processes. It is by the Holy Spirit, is by the Spirit of God that Jesus is adding to his church, that is working through his church, that is ministering to his church, that is conforming his church into his image and his body. Jesus is the head. We are the body. He gets to place us in the body wherever he wants us. And all we have to do, all we have to do is respond to him in faith and simply follow him day by day, trusting him, asking him, Jesus, Clothe me with your spirit. Clothe me with your power. We're told that when we ask our Father for the Holy Spirit, he's not going to give us a rock. He's not going to give us a snake. He's not going to give us anything else other than what we ask for him in spirit and in truth. God, give us you so that my life that you have given to me, that you have created that you have made alive these dry bones so that my life can give you glory because that is what I have been created for. Let's worship. <laughs>